Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? My company, getfeatured.com, will get you featured on targeted shows, will design you a custom bio page, pitch you to the host, prepare you for the shows, and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.com to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 89 of Can I Pick Your Brain? My guest today is on a mission to run across every country in the world in the next 20 years. That's 195 countries, which will cost him an estimated $5 million and a ton of worn-out shoes. Akshay Nanavati is an ex-Marine who was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder on his return from his deployment in Iraq. His solution? Run like crazy, make history, and inspire others along the way. Now, here's a little rap I put together for him. As an ex-marine, he saw the obscene Hard to stay clean from the drugs at 18 Post-traumatic stress disorder Pushing him closer to the border The mental trauma and all the drama Led him to find Fearvana And now he runs across the world Cause he won't be told it's just too bold It's way too cold, danger you will behold From the north to the south pole Will it fill up his hole? Running became his new drug to unwind and unplug To reignite and face the fight From existing to living, from taking to giving This man will stop at nothing So whatever the day, come May, he'll still run and his name is Akshay. Akshay, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for that creating was... that. I loved it. <laughs> Dude, I tell you something. We're talking about fear varna, right? Which we're going to get into and, and how to overcome your fear. Every single time I do these raps, I am literally, my stomach is ripping open because it's just like, <laughs> oh man, what am I doing? Right. <laughs> um, I loved it though. That was amazing. <laughs> you know what? I actually even stumbled during that rap and I was like thinking, oh crap. Now, but then I just like pushed myself to continue with it because I was like, you know what? I'm in it. I'm doing it. I'm not going to re record this. And it's like, it's one of the things that I do on my show that I basically, everything is raw. Like I told you before we, we got on the show, yeah. there's no questions, there's no like lists. It's just pure flow and whatever happens happens and i like it like that um so for those of you guys listening by the way um i don't edit this show at all so whatever you hear is exactly you know what happened um but anyway actually like what the heck man <laughs> what are you what are you smoking well you're not smoking clearly you're running but like okay so i want to i want to like go back i mean what i really want to do with you is i want to figure out why running? Why the heck would you put yourself through such a crazy mission? How you're funding the, the whole thing? Uh, what you think about when you're running? What kind of dangers you faced? I want to cover a lot of stuff, but before we sure. get into all that, can we backtrack? Like, when did you first discover running as, as a therapy for you? Because I think that's key here. Yeah, um, I got into it really in physical fitness when I got out of uh, drugs. So, you know, in about 16 years old, I spent about a year and a half, 
you know, wasting my life away with drugs and was pretty heavily immersed in that lifestyle of self-destruction. Uh, even lost two friends to that lifestyle, two of them OD'd. And I, I, too, was very much headed down that path uh, until I then until I actually saw the movie Black Hawk Down. Have you seen that movie? Really? No. Do you know what? I think I might have watched it. I don't remember, but I'm definitely going to go check it out again because I know it's a good yeah, movie. Yeah, it's... It's a very powerful movie. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a war movie based on a true story. Mm-hmm. And watching the courage of these men sacrificing their lives for their fellow human beings just made me kind of question the life that I was living. It made me wonder, would I be able to do the same thing? And so after watching the movie, I then read the book, and I started reading book after book on military and life in, and, uh, and life in the military and combat and decided to join the Marines. And that's when I started running and getting in, you know, kind of getting into shape and, uh, and essentially almost overnight stopped doing drugs and uh, straightened out my act a little bit. <laughs> so running running saved you from a life of drugs. That's incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And then it saved me from alcohol uh laughter after the war and not too long ago in fact that I was, you know, drinking to the point that I considered taking my own life and finally uh running once again was my salvation. Okay, so let's go through that. So your first the first uh discovery of of running and and basically physical fitness was when you saw two of your friends over dose on drugs and you were pretty much going the same way then you enlisted into the into the uh, marines you went to iraq you fought in the war there you came back you were diagnosed with uh, ptsd um Mm -hmm. can you by the way describe what it what is it like to have ptsd for those of us that don't know so you know when I when I uh, I was diagnosed by the v, the Veteran Affairs Administration in the U.S., but I and then you know I got I hit some dark moments as well, and I started doing a lot of research in neuroscience and psychology to kind of figure this thing out myself. And what I ultimately came to learn is that the symptoms of post traumatic stress are not indicative of the disorder. Uh, they're not a disorder. I mean, it's very normal to to jump on loud noises when you come back from a world where loud noises equals death. You know, mm. I didn't like being in crowds. I I was a little bit more vigilant uh, to this day I'm more vigilant than the, probably the average person I tend to be you know little sort of have that awareness of my surroundings in my room but these are not and, and the and these they these symptoms were they labeled me as post-traumatic stress disorder but I kind of refused to accept that and a lot of the research I, I, I took on led me to conclude uh, ultimately I concluded that just because I have these it's not a disorder and post-traumatic stress is a very normal response to an experience like war or many other things that cause post-traumatic stress as well but it doesn't mean I have a disorder and so I'll Ultimately, I kind of refused to accept that label and ultimately created the new one, right? That's what led to Firvana. <laughs> That's so cool. So what, what exactly is Firvana? So I defined the, the, the word itself as Firvana is a state of bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. And what I mean by that is we all have that worthy struggle. It could be running a marathon, building a business, raising a child, uh, playing chess, you know, anything. When we find it, it's it's risky because we're when any, anytime we want, want something new, we're going to have to take a risk. So it's scary to do these things. But Firvana is the bliss that results from that. So it's, you know, jumping out of a plane, it's scary. But as soon as you jump, you're in that state of bliss, right? So mm. fear, that's what led to these, uh, this concept because I noticed that the word itself, fear, was a very negative association. I mean people say that and people don't think positive, right? But yep. I found that the greatest things in my life were terrifying <laughs> at first. And that's <laughs> why I ultimately wanted to reframe the, the way people view, view fear. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what led to Fearvana. My, my wife actually coined the term, which I fell in love with when she did. <laughs> so I want to get more into the turning the fear into action, which then turns into bliss because it sounds incredible. Uh, but again, before we go there, can you describe the symptoms of what it, what was it like when you came back 
uh, from Iraq. Give us like, what was sure. what was your day like? Yeah, you know, when, when I first got back, I was, uh, I, I went to senior, I was in my senior year of undergrad, and it was hard adjusting to uh, the college life after after coming back from the war. In fact, I wanted to go back to Iraq or Afghanistan. I kept volunteering to go every chance I could get. It was, you know, it's hard adjusting, and, and you know, at the time, I didn't have the level of awareness that I do now. So I was very judgmental of college students that complain about very silly things, and you come <laughs> back from not only your own struggles in war, but, you know, people in Iraq who have no food, water, living under oppression for years. And uh, and you see a different side of life. And you know, ultimately now I can't blame you know you can't blame a person for just for their level of awareness. It's not a college student's fault that they haven't seen those things. But you come back to that world and people are complaining about silly things. And it's and it, the world is so much more complicated. Everything becomes you know what you have to you have to think about. What do I do with my day? I have to start worrying about paying bills. Even things like okay, now I'm meeting girls again. You know, all these things are so much more complicated. Whereas life in Iraq, when all you have to worry about is living and dying, is very simple. So I missed the uh, simplicity of that world mm -hmm. and the and the high that you get you know you're living it there's always kind of an adrenaline rush there's a meaning there's a purpose to what you're doing you're mm -hmm. serving something bigger than yourself separate from all the politics of the war of course but you're we're there to help these iraqi people we're serving besides our fellow marines so mm. i kind of missed all, all that simplicity and uh and it took me a little while to uh, to adjust and sort of replicate the i would say uh the beauty and the simplicity of life at war <laughs> and bring it to bring as as crazy as that may sound i get it <laughs> yeah. but bring that simplicity and that high to my life in the quote-unquote normal world so essentially you're in a an, an adrenaline junkie i mean you're not high <laughs> you're, you're basically not high on drugs anymore alcohol you're high on experience exactly now that's why i find find other ways to get that you know positive ways to get that high whether it be working out running uh, i mean i've done all the sort of outdoor sports you know cave diving ice diving scuba diving you know uh, mountaineering all of it so <laughs> so let's go to the travel to basically running across the world when did that crazy idea come into your head uh, I actually was inspired by this Australian ultra runner, Pat Farmer, who ran from the North Pole to the South Pole in 10 and a half months, averaging about two marathons a day with no no time off. And I mean, even reading in his book, he talks about how nobody would sponsor him because they all thought it's impossible and you know, there's no, mm -hmm. no way anybody can do that. But he went and did it. And, uh, and it inspired me to take on something beautiful, something big, something that consumes your life, like, uh, it, you know, essentially it's a lifelong mission. Uh, and I don't know if I'll ever complete it or when I will, but it's ultimately about the journey, you know, not so much the destination. And I love traveling. I love pushing my own limits. So this was a kind of a way to to bring all my own passions, but also then to do sort of the self goal was, you know, to travel and push my limits. And then the greater than self goal was to show a different side of humanity. I mean, when you turn on the news, you see the world crumbling, right? But humanity is great. Humanity is also beautiful and I've seen so much of that in the runs that I've done so far and I wanted to I want to tell these stories I want to I'm going to be raising a lot of funds as well I've started a nonprofit called Fearvana Foundation so we're going to partner with charities on the ground in some of these countries that we're uh, you know that I'm going to be running across and helping them do work on the ground as well as fundraising so uh, it was kind of this way to bring you know bring all my passions together in one crazy endeavor that uh, who knows if and when I'll finish it but I know I'll enjoy the journey <laughs> so, so you that's crazy I mean, I you're married, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> you, have, you have children? No kids yet, no. Are you planning on having children? We do, yes, yes, how, we do. How does that work with daddy like going off to Iceland and, and like traveling across the world? I mean, how does that work? I mean, even, even with your wife, even like how do you guys, yeah. 
How do you have a relationship? You're, you're... She, she is very supportive of my insanity. In fact, three months after getting married, I went and le- I went and skied across Greenland for one month. Uh, so, <laughs> so she's she's very supportive of my insanity and very much on board. And you know, we plan on when we've already thought about when we get kids, we want to actually like homeschool them. So bring them bring them with us on these endeavors. I'm not oh a big fan goodness. of much of the education system as well. So I'd rather you know. I think there's no greater education than experiencing life. Um, so I want to bring them, bring them along, at least in some of the safe places. And same with my wife. But she has no desire to go spend a month on ice cap, so she won't be doing that. But uh, <laughs> but in certain countries, you know, she they can come along. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, gonna, but she's definitely very supportive. So I couldn't I couldn't do it without her support for sure. I'm gonna push. Um, I'm gonna push you a little bit here, actually, because I kind of want to get a little bit of <laughs> of deep understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. Is sure. it is it possible that you're running away rather than running to? Do you, do you know what I mean by that question? By the way, absolutely, absolutely, okay. and it's a great question, and it's something that's I've definitely um, recently kind of figured that out because today, you know, people when I share this fear, Rana, people ask me, "What's your what are you most scared of?" And my greatest fear today is stillness. So just being still with myself, and I discovered that even these quote unquote positive things like running, working out, can be exactly what you're saying. Can be running away from yourself, can be a means to escape that just being you know being still with what mm-hmm. shows up in your mind, and uh, and so now I you know for a long time it was it was very much that. These, these things like climbing mountains were a, were a means of running away. And today I still do them, but I do them with a le- very different level of consciousness than I did in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm embracing stillness. I'm working towards it. It's still very scary, uh, uh, but it's a practice I'm now taking on. And I'm doing these things from a more conscious place as opposed to a running away place. But mm-hmm. it's a great question. It's definitely something that I recently kind of discovered about myself as I've been, you know, growing in my own spiritual and mental journey yeah because what's interesting is that like okay if you're like uh you know 18 years old and you're single and you kind of want to just go have a good time and travel the world like yeah that makes sense like you know you've got no responsibility so why not have some mm-hmm. fun but as mm-hmm. h- how old are you now actually you're what 30 30 32 you're 32 you're married you know i'm assuming you have some some uh, business right you've got a business that you're yes. running yep. to me it's almost like it's easier to just get on a plane and go to some exotic fun place and like travel the world instead of like getting up at like, you know, six in the morning and having to get to your office and deal with the clients and then doing with the bills at home. And then, then yep. you have a kid and then you've got to deal with the children <laughs> and the wife is whining and yeah. you, you, the whole thing, right? So almost, it's like almost a man's dream. It's like, okay, honey, I'm going to travel the rest <laughs> of the world now. See you later in six months time. You know? So... Yeah, I, I guess it's still the same kind of question I'm asking you is, do you think what you're doing is is the right thing? Uh, I mean, I definitely agree with you. It's much simpler doing these things. I mean, life, like when I'm climbing mountains, life is much simpler than in this, you know, the complicated uh, normal world. Uh, but I think that, you know, I, I choose to do them now, as I said, from this level of consciousness, and I've definitely adjusted my level of risk with the with the fact that I'm now married and soon kids. For example, I used to free solo up rock walls. I used to climb up, you know, 80, 100 feet rock walls with no rope. What? And, uh, and yeah, <laughs> so as you can imagine, the level of risk on that is huge. I mean, there's zero room for error, you know, and many, wow. many great rock climbers have, uh, you know, continue to die in fact uh, one of uh, a mountaineer i re- i follow uli steck a legendary mountaineer recently passed away uh, so the, the obviously the level of risk in, in these kind of things is huge but when i got married i promised my wife i wouldn't do that anymore so you know it's it's <laughs> I'm uh, glad. I'm so glad. i definitely adjust 
Sorry, say, sorry, say again. <laughs> I said I'm glad because <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know that, and so and so, in a sense that I do feel like I'm doing the best to mitigate these risks, but at the same time. I think a life without risk, and it doesn't have to be risking your life. It can be any anything worthwhile is going to be risky. I mean, you want to start a business, it's a risk. You know, mm-hmm. getting married is a risk, right? Anything anything worthwhile, I think, entails risk, entails the unknown, and so I think it's worth engaging that. I mean, I would rather you know live a full life and die at forty than 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 live a mediocre one and die at eighty. You know, and mm. my wife is very much on board. In fact, every speech I do, people all. I always get this question: Are you? How can you do these things? You're married. I mean, I had one person in an audience literally ask, basically say that I don't love my wife. I can't love my wife if I do these things. So, which wow. was, <laughs> which wow. was interesting that I was accused of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but my wife is all. She's been there, and she often stands up and she says, you know, when I married him, this is the person who, like, I knew what I was getting into, mm-hmm. and I love him for these reasons. This is what makes me me. This is what makes me the kind of person that she she married so uh it's definitely something we want to do together though you know it's not like a running away from her by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. <laughs> how many how many countries have you managed to run across so far i've done eight so far i kind of put this endeavor on hold temporarily to finish mm-hmm. up the writing of the book which was uh, actually ironically writing about fear was a terrifying and scary experience <laughs> the writing of the book so next year though i want to get back out into the uh, out into the world and out into these runs and uh, <laughs> and continue on this endeavor so, so that's the plan next you've, year you've run across eight countries out of 195 yep. So not not, <laughs> not that many not that many to go. So what what can you give us share with us some stories because I I'm, I would love to know. I'm sure our listeners sure. would love to hear some. What were like some of the the most I guess life threat. Let's start let's start off with that. What were the most life threatening situations you faced so far? I would say, you know, the uh, obviously in terms, of, some of those were not necessarily related to the run, but like the, the crossing of Greenland was definitely uh, one of the riskier ones. In fact, a year after I made the crossing, a British explorer died out there in mm. storms that were very similar to we we experienced. I mean, these storms were brutal, and you're just sitting in your tent, and the, the inside of the tent sounds like a washing machine. You know, it's just going, and you're just sitting there like looking at the tent, and it's, there's kind of this peace because you realize, you know, you've done the best you could, you've set up your tent the best you could, and you just kind of hope for the best. <laughs> so there's this kind of peace that you that you know you experience out there. So Greenland was probably the most risky in terms of the run, but mm-hmm. other times I mean I've almost been killed by a falling boulder while I was glacier caving in the Himalayas. What? I mean I was within 10 seconds if we had if 10 seconds later i mean if i had if i had been on that same stretch of this little ice uh you know in 10 seconds earlier and i would have we would not be having this conversation today so uh (laughs) and actually even in iraq i just found out earlier this year the first time i found this out my from my staff sergeant he said that our vehicle actually drove over an active ied but it for whatever reason it just did not explode and i only found that out 10 years we had a 10-year iraq reunion so you know so things like that have definitely happened uh that's insane that that, uh, force you to experience your own mortality how cold how cold was it when you were running across greenland it got to like minus 40 degrees at the minimum i mean i have this picture of me where my whole beard is covered in ice (laughs) minus 40 degrees (laughs) holy cow that's nuts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was brutal. I mean, the storms and everything were just, I mean, we had to- totally, we were stuck in storms for about five days. 
uh, throughout the one month that we were what out there. What did you eat or drink? I mean, I'm assuming your water freezes at that temperature, right? So. <laughs> yeah, you're, I mean, we're, we're boiling water to fill uh, every every morning and evening. So uh, to, you know, boiling snow, essentially, to, that's our water source. And we had freeze-dried food, which was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I remember we, we would pour extra water in the in the food just to kind of swallow it. And oh. sometimes it would have to, like, just to get, because you need the calories. No matter how, how much you eat, though, you're not going to burn enough calories because uh, of the amount of work that you're doing. So we'd often put like sticks of butter into our food as well, just to get that extra, extra calories. So I actually lost 20 pounds out there though, and I put on 17 pounds of fat before going because I needed extra fat uh, to lose. <laughs> that, that was the next question I was going to ask you: is how do you physically prepare for this type of trip, and also how do you mentally prepare for it? I mean, you must be, I, I don't know, peeing your pants the night before, no? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, of course it was uh, scary, you know, like knowing that I was about to embark upon this was terrifying. And uh, I mean, physically prepared, I, I actually used to drag tires around the streets of New Jersey where I live. The tire <laughs> were simulating the sled. So as you can imagine, it was a strange sight. So I'd often get stopped. And the funniest time was when two people stopped me and asked me what I was doing. And I told them and they go, but why? <laughs> <laughs> but why? Yeah. So, yeah, well, but why did you do that? <laughs> so I used to drag tires. So you learn to just... Um, you know, to, to that's physically and, and mentally preparation as well. You know, just dragging tires for hours on end is tedious, it's boring, it's miserable, but it Wait, mentally so dragging, prepares you for... Uh, the dragging the tires is because you're, you're dragging a sled. I mean, how heavy is the yeah. sled that you're dragging across the snow? It started off at about 185, 190 pounds. Wow. Uh, and then obviously it gets lighter as you eat, keep eating. But we had 32 days worth of food with us. And then your tents, your uh, fuel, and uh, you know all the gear as well. But uh, it was but 32 days worth of food. So it gets a little lighter as you keep going. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. I mean, uh, I think you, you also were planning to, to, to run across Jordan and Israel. Is that right? I want to, yeah. That, that, I, so some of, the, so it's obviously, you know, been challenging yeah. not just the running part, but figure out logistically how to manage this. That's not going to so be did, easy. <laughs> I can tell yeah, you that. exactly. That's going to be a lot harder in many ways. Running ultimately is simple, right? It's putting one foot in front of the other, <laughs> but the logistic managing is much tougher. So I did a few countries, like I did these eight countries, to kind of one to experience it myself, two to sort of establish credibility, showing that I'm actually doing it. I'm not just talking about it, mm -hmm. but I want to stop doing it in the sense of like, like moving forward now when I continue these runs. I want it to be more than just about my experience of doing these things because so I've had amazing experiences amazing stories in these various endeavors uh, happy to share some of these uh, some of those as well yeah please but do. I want to start now uh, like kind of bringing more meaning to it so after the launch of the book you know I want to I want to start doing the fundraising and I want to bring more uh, ideally again bring the credibility with the book launch to to have more of a platform uh, uh, to to kind of bring more you know awareness to the work we're doing not just about me experiencing cool things on my run hmm. <laughs> so yeah, next next I'll be getting back to it in, in a much uh, bigger way and that'll also allow me to manage the logistics a little bit easier as well yeah that's another thing I was going to ask you as well is you estimated that the whole project will cost you five million dollars um how are you funding that initially it's i mean right now it's just been self-funded you know uh through my business i i'm kind of doing that i mean ideally i've, I've gotten some in-kind sponsors so i had new running shoes gave me running shoes <laughs> uh when i've when i've when i've traveled to many of these places hotels will give me free nights to kind of support the support the insanity <laughs> so i've gotten some in-kind sponsorships and you know ideally as as this grows and as my platform grows and as everything grows you know get some more sponsorships and just fund it through my businesses as well uh doing whatever doing whatever it takes to to kind of make that happen hmm. how do you run a business while you're traveling the world i mean most of us try to 
build and grow a business just staying in one place? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, I've been fortunate in the sense like right now my business essentially is just uh, coaching. So, you know, I can kind of, as long as I have a Wi-Fi connection, I can mm-hmm. do it from anywhere. But I'm looking now to expand in more uh, into, you know, building out digital information products, building out uh, public speaking is something I absolutely love. So doing more of that, which mm-hmm. again, allows me to travel. Um, and, and ideally, Fearvana is going to expand into multiple verticals as well. So I'm looking to follow sort of the Richard Branson model of Virgin, you know, where he builds out one one uh, Virgin, uh, like an enterprise in one vertical, and then expands out to the next one. So mm-hmm. I want to, for example, I'll be creating a Fearvana Fitness, a Fearvana Academy, a mm. Fearvana Festivals, like all these different Fearvana ventures with the umbrella category being enhancing well-being and really looking at how to improve the quality of our lives. So the plan is to really build one, you know, build one thing out at a time and then kind of, you know, hand it over to the CEO or whatever and then move on to the next one. And while I'm doing that, continuing my uh, worldwide insanity. <laughs> That's incredible. By the way, I forgot to ask you, like, where are you right now? <laughs> I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm actually in India right now, heading, in, to, heading, to, heading back to the U.S. to Chicago uh, next week. So you're in India right now. So did you run, a, you were trying to run across India or you just happened to be there? No, no. My family uh, is out here, and I'm actually building out, as I mentioned, the Fearvana Academy. I'm working on building that out here, starting in India uh, initially and expanding that uh, across the globe. But I have family that lives out here as well, hmm. so just spending time spending time with the family. But I'm definitely not ready for the India mileage just yet. Yeah, that's the kind of two years plan to go from the southern end to the northern end of India. That'll so it will take you. <laughs> that will take you. Hold on, let me just get that straight. So it will take you two full years to run from one end of India to the other. No, no, no. Sorry. It won't take me two years. What I meant was two years of training to be ready for that run. Oh, wow. Two years yeah. of training? <laughs> Just to be ready for that kind of mileage because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to be able to – I want to get to the point where I can sustain – 50 50 miles a day you know like the two marathons continuously uh and i'm nowhere near that right now i mean i can probably comfortably run a marathon a day i mean when i say comfortably quote unquote, are you comfortably. kidding me you can run a <laughs> marathon a day dude do you, do you realize like most people they train i wouldn't be able to run a marathon in a year forget about i'm saying like you know it's that's crazy a marathon a day <laughs> I mean, I'm not very fast. I just, I can just go for you know a while, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not oh very my. fast. But my goal is not to be fast. I'm not looking to win uh, races. My goal is to be able to go for you know day, days on end. So I, so ultimately, I'm training for that as opposed to training for speed. <laughs> I think one, I think one of the biggest questions our listeners will have, and it's definitely you know the big one of the biggest questions I have for you, is how does it help? Meaning, you were on drugs because you were obviously trying to escape from something right and the <laughs> post-traumatic uh, stress you had symptoms where you were afraid you were scared of public places uh, interestingly mm-hmm. enough my father who will probably listen to this because he's he's into whack, wacky stories so he'll probably listen to this <laughs> so hi hi dad um he actually has he has a fear of of public crowded uh spaces so mm. As a as a post-traumatic stress victim, or I don't want to call you a victim because you probably won't like that, but you know what I'm saying, like uh, having, having that type, you, you know what I mean? What, yeah. uh, what about running and exploring and, and, you know, doing the things that you're doing? How is that, um, I guess, curing or, or getting rid of the, the issue uh, or the symptoms of being in a crowded space, for example, as one of the symptoms? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, like definitely I'm still not a big fan of crowds. I'm much more comfortable and I'm able to 
handle it and process it better than I could, but I still don't like it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think you know, exercise has been a great salvation. I mean, beyond the fact that you know it actually releases all the endorphins, the uh, and it releases all those dopamine in the brain and all that sort of the runner's high you get. Beyond that, it it you know I think there's something beautiful in suffering. When you choose to engage a worthy suffering, it really. But the more you experience that battle where you against yourself, and you can say you know you hit that moment where you say I want to quit. This this sucks. This is awful. <laughs> and I experience that often on my training runs where I'm like, why am I doing this? This is miserable. <laughs> but the more you experience that moment, the the more you discover about yourself. And I think that you know there's no end to how much you can discover about yourself. Obviously, I mean we can go on until the day you die. You know keep mm. keep experiencing that moment. So I think there's something. Truly beautiful about the uh, embracing that suffering and getting experiencing that the, the who you are and who what you are capable of. I don't. I think it's the only way to really live. And exercise is the best way to um, combine the mind, body, and spirit. I think it's really the only way that you can tap into mind, body, and spirit all at once. You know. But is it is it the actual running? Is it the planning? Is it the achievement? Is it the long term goal? What exactly do you think it is? It's definitely the journey more than the uh, the thing. I mean, because ultimately, you know, when I got to the other end of Greenland, for example, really what I do, I just walked one from one end of a big rock to the other, right? Like when you put it that way, it almost sounds kind of silly. Yeah. But <laughs> so it's uh, a <laughs> it's more it's it's about that journey of the the person I become through this process. Every run is different, you know. Every like I mean, like I, and just the people you experience. So as I said, like I'll give you a quick story, for example. Yeah. When I ran across, I was did a 55 mile run across Luxembourg, and midway through, inevitably, you know, you hit a low moment. So I. I was I was kind of miserable, and I was in some small town in the middle of Luxembourg. I couldn't even tell you where it was, and uh, I was I was really suffering. And I stopped to put a little strap around my knee because my knee was hurting. And this mm-hmm. gentleman, who some local in the town, saw me, and uh, and we walked up to me, and you know he spoke French. I didn't speak any French. He spoke no English, but I managed to show him on my phone like the map of Luxembourg, showed him that I was you know kind of running. We managed to communicate what I was doing. He invited me into his home for water, wow. gave, and when we parted ways, he gave me a big hug, and oh. it was such a beautiful moment to me like to see that humanity you know that my struggle brought me brought us together in this beautiful way and I immediately experienced that sort of second or I think by that point it was a third or fourth wind uh, (laughs) to get me going again but Hmm. those kind of beautiful moments that we see in humanity and I think when we when we struggle together when we play together I think you experience humanity the best at its extremes and not in the mundane you know so when I experienced when when I have suffered even in Barbados for example I got severe heat cramps and heat exhaustion at the end of my run Uh, it was a 28 mile run and I was not prepared for the humidity and heat so i mean i was in bad shape it was miserable hmm. <laughs> but the lady the lady she had given me a free hotel stay she picked me up from the end she saw me suffering and she just immediately rushed to get me coconut water the guy at the coconut water stall you know like she told him what i was doing he puts his fist out and he just goes respect you know and kind of gives me wow. that fist bump and these kind of beautiful moments that i've experienced all over from and i think again you, you experience that when you test yourself and when you when you push the boundaries of what's possible it doesn't mm-hmm. happen in the mundane you know at least from my experience and uh, and that's really been beautiful that's that's ultimately why the you know what makes it all worthwhile when i get to experience that in others as well as myself you know and i think you just uncovered it really what it is and why you're doing it because what you've just described and you said it a few times you said the word humanity and mm-hmm. i think what post-traumatic stress in a sense, and I've never suffered from it, thank God, but I can imagine that when you're in war, you're basically living in a very hostile situation where people are being mm-hmm. inhuman. They're being the opposite. They're, mm-hmm. they're just, there's murder, there's, you know, there's so much, you know, just inhumane things going on, hunger mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. children and, and blood and, and just, and then 
on the opposite side, you're chasing humanity. You're basically saying there's so much humanity in this world. There's so much beauty in this world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to experience. You're experiencing the complete opposite of what you experienced in, a, in, a, in war. And it's the same thing with the drugs, right? A drug, essentially, it's a quick fix, but it pretty much destroys you from the inside out. Exactly. It destroys yep. your relationships. It destroys you physically. It destroys you mentally. It destroys you emotionally. And on the flip side, when you're on a journey, like you said, you're going through a transformation. Yes, it's hard, but mm -hmm. ultimately you're becoming a different person. You're becoming a better person because of the experiences that you're, that you're having. And just purely by seeing the beauty of the world and seeing the different cultures that exist, it's, it's yeah. so inspiring. It really is. It's absolutely incredible. Thank you, thank you, it, and it, and you know that's what I want. I want to show more of that, like the stories of this man George in Luxembourg. You know, that's I think because perception becomes reality. And if we watch the news, you know, you're just seeing how humanity's evil and falling apart, and we're all destroying each other. But that's not that, and that becomes a sense of reality if you mm. if that's all you're surrounded by, right? So I want to I want to start telling a new story. And even in Iraq, for example, there were so many good things happening. We opened up a marble factory for the first time in four years. Opened up a train station, uh, and all these things were happening. But there were no journalists telling those stories. You know, they were only the stories of the Abu Ghraibs and the and the horrors of war. But they were good things that we that need to be told, and uh, and that's what I'm hoping to do with this: is start telling a different side of who we are and, are you uh, and documenting? create that reality. Are you documenting all of this? Are you videoing? Because that would be amazing if you had like video footage of, you know, this woman helping you out and all the different experiences that you have. If you had some sort of like a, you know, video footage and documenting the journey, are you doing that? I am not – like for the first few, I haven't – just logistically managing and financial as well, haven't been able to. But it's definitely in the cards to do that because uh, like like you said, I mean I want to I wanna share these stories. So as I kind of grow in my own business and bring more – you know, the platform grows, I can bring more people on board and start documenting these these things that I'm doing and, uh, and the people that I meet on the, on the journey. So I'm kind of creating like a Firvana Moments campaign as well that I'll be sharing these kind of stories of, of all these amazing people that I meet and uh, and showing this the beauty mm -hmm. of humanity. <laughs> you mentioned, by the way, actually, you mentioned going, uh, Greenland was minus 40 degrees. It was freezing mm -hmm. cold. Then Barbados, you were dying of heat. Do you, do you prefer to run in, in, in hot weather or cold? I definitely prefer cold weather. Really? <laughs> cold, you can kind of do something about it. You can kind of layer up. I mean, in Greenland, for example, you know, it, yes, it was cold, but I often didn't feel it because we had like a thick down jacket, you know? So, uh, uh, I mean, yes, there are days, obviously, you do feel the cold, but with cold, you can do something about it. With heat, like you could be naked and you're still going to feel hot. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. but, which is part of the reason why I actually want to engage in more heat-based adventures. So I want to do like a desert crossing and things like that because it scares me more and it seems a lot more miserable. So uh, there's growth in that misery <laughs> <That's incredible. laughs> waiting for me. <laughs> so let me ask you this. What's like, what's the plan now? What's next on your itinerary? Where, where, which are the next countries you're looking to, to conquer? I want to do uh, next year, so as I said, I want to start, so I'm going to get back to it next year, um, and I want to start doing some small ones in Europe and Africa, so like I have a friend who runs a great organization in Rwanda, so I want to go help her work and and, uh, uh, and also do the run across there. I want to do some countries in Europe like Montenegro, some kind of smaller ones to, again, as training, as uh, uh, building up the, the sort of the credibility piece again, and mm -hmm. again to just get back on this journey. And then within the next two years, I want to start doing like the big countries, like I want to do the US, I want to do India. Uh, 
Uh, my plan again is to run, you know, from the LA to New York and then southern tip to northern tip of <laughs> India. So Jeez. within the next two, two, three years, I want to get on these uh, the big big countries and start building up the mileage for that. <laughs> and, and there's no cheating. You can't like hop on a train or like jump on a bike, <laughs> hitch a ride. You know, just just a few miles. You know. Yeah. You've literally <laughs> got to run every single mile across the country. Jeez, man. That's that's the plan. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I'm ultimately, you know, I could do. Nobody's gonna know if I what I do, but in my own in my own mind, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if uh, <laughs> if, I, if I if I cheated. So, <laughs> is so it no in- cheating? <laughs> and again, don't don't take this personally or, or, or offensive. No, no, no. I'm I'm just literally just asking because I want to really get you know deep and you you seem like the kind of guy that you're you're not phased by it is this just an, a big ego trip where you can kind of at the end go look at me guys i've be i've broken a world record nobody's done this before i've basically run across the whole world and you know like on my tombstone <laughs> you know i can write the only guy that ran across every country <laughs> in the world like what's the real reason like okay we get the fact that obviously it excites you. It's it's mm. enjoyable, but you can just run, you know, wherever along the beach. You know, you don't have to be running mm-hmm. across the world mm-hmm. and climbing mountains mm-hmm. to do it. <laughs> What's the reason? Yeah, you know, I mean, so I uh, to, as far as to your point about the ego, I mean, of course, beyond some of the other things I mentioned in terms of experiencing humanity, there's those goals that I want to do and and, uh, and travel the world that way because, you know, I love experiencing new cultures and new worlds, but there's definitely some ego involved, and I actually don't think that's a bad thing, and I always share this with people is that ego is not a bad thing. I Like, like fear, like I don't think any emotion is a bad thing when channeled, you know, correctly. Um, so I think there there is some ego, and I'm like, I want to do it, but ultimately not to even to prove to any anybody else but to prove to me like uh that's the real ego for me is that i like to show like sort of experience my own greatness if that makes sense and Mm -hmm. you only do that by pushing yourself you know you get to find out a new you when you when you test who what what your limits are only can only then can you break them so it's ego in the sense of uh i i want to like I want to do this and prove to myself that I can do so much more than I than I'm capable of. And I'm not gonna lie, like I love being on stage speaking. I love sharing my story with people. I there's there's, I think any, anybody will tell you who's a, who's a speaker, you know, that it's a it's a not a bad like I I, I enjoy that feeling of being <laughs> being up on stage in front of a crowd. And there's definitely ego involved in that. So I don't think it's just a bad thing. But I'm also um, I'm again I'm choosing to harness that that ego in the sense of. Um, doing something meaningful with it as well, or at least the way I see it uh, is hopeful, hoping to do something meaningful with it and bringing kind of uh, bringing these stories to the world and shedding a different experience on what human you, what the human experience is like. Hmm. Uh, did that answer your question? I don't know if I kind of lost track there. <laughs> no, 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 you did. I mean, ultimately, you know, you're proving it to yourself. It's not so much, yeah. you know, proving it to others. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about self-awareness, right? If, if you're really self-aware and you know, the reason why you're doing what you're doing, it doesn't really matter what anybody else exactly. thinks. Like, I don't care whether good. people, you know. Yeah, and you're going to have people think it's like, I mean, when the CNN article came out about me, I can't tell you how many, so many more of the comments on there were negative as opposed to positive. Mm-hmm. People were like, this is stupid. And really, in life, if you look at it, why do anything, right? Like, why, what's the purpose of doing anything? So people are going to think it's stupid. People are going to think it's dumb, and that's fine, you know? That's <laughs> totally cool. You're going to get uh, the, the those voice of critics, no doubt. But the more you put yourself out there, that's part of, that's inevitable. You're going to have more people kind of talking trash about you. So ultimately, it is just for me, you know? And uh, and hoping if I can make it difference in in a few people's lives along the way then then that mm-hmm. makes it totally worth it what are some of the, i've guessed the biggest lessons that you've taken so far on your journey just being amongst so many different cultures and 
and different parts of the world. What have you what have you experienced and what are some of the lessons that you've taken that you can share with our audience that they can take and, and implement into their lives? I think that, you know, the in terms of sort of on a grander scale, the, the beauty is how similar we all are. I mean, even in a war zone in Iraq, you know, not they people there just wanted like 99% of people everywhere just want the same things that we all do. You know, they wanted like and they wanted to be happy, take care of their families, to survive, wanted food and water. And then there's a 1% of the world who wants to watch it all burn. You know, like they, <laughs> these were the insurgents in Iraq. And also just even I knew Marines who would who would want to do were you know ready to do awful things. But that was the smaller percentage. So kind of on the large scale, that's what it is. And then on the, on the sort of on a personal scale, I think it's you know coming back to this point about ego, fear, all these things not being negative is not to judge your own emotions. Like all these things that I do are terrifying and scary. And you know, a quick story about like for example, guilt is often you know considered one of the most quote unquote damaging emotions. And I feel I had lost a friend of mine in the war before I even went to Iraq. Him and me had volunteered to go together. And one summer I was actually vacationing here in India, and he ended up going. And I always felt that I should have gone with him. And had I gone with him, maybe I would have taken his place and he would have come back home to his fiancée. But he died and uh, and, you know, and I'm still alive. And the guilt plagued me and I still feel that guilt. But today I've learned to channel that guilt into something meaningful, saying since I am still alive, let me do something meaningful with this life. You know, So mm. I, I choose to embrace that guilt and not let it go. So on a personal level, I think the most important thing you can do is embrace the, all those quote-unquote negative emotions and the positive and then and then channel them into something meaningful. Whatever that worthy struggle is for you, you know, who, uh, there's all we all have that worthy struggle to experience. And um, and channeling these negative emotions will allow you to embark upon that struggle and uh, and keep pursuing it. And that's what the world needs: is more people who have come alive. Right? There's that great quote. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we said, "Don't ask what the world needs; ask what ask what makes you come alive." Because what the world needs: is more people who have come alive. Hmm. No, that's incredible. And you mentioned <laughs> you've mentioned some some life threatening situations and some you know obviously uh, incredibly uh, inspiring. Any funny situations happen along the way? Anything really funny happen? Uh, I'm trying to think. It's nothing stands out. I mean, just you know, the 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 sort of day-to-day experiences. I mean, in Iraq, for example, you know, you you learn to laugh at the at the things you do. I mean, I remember one particular story in Iraq. Um, one, my job was a particularly dangerous one in dealing with these improvised explosive devices. I used to, ha- I would have to walk out in front of, anytime we got to a danger zone, let's say a bridge, for example, where they could plant a bomb under the bridge, me and one of the Marine would walk out in front of the vehicle convoys, one on the left side, me on the, you know, one Marine on the left, one Marine on the right, and we'd walk through the danger zone, make sure there's no bombs, no wires, and then we would wave our vehicle across and you know we'd carry on our mission so needless to say if somebody was going to get blown up first guess who it would be right <laughs> why, why would you so, do that like how no I, I need to stop you right there for a second sure, because sure. <laughs> I could tell you right now I would not be the one crossing the bridge first yeah I'm, I'll make sure there's 10 people go first just just to make sure you know just how do you like do you not enjoy your life I mean I, I'm, I'm saying this obviously in a in a, in a <laughs> tongue-in-cheek way but you know you're climbing you're climbing up mountains without any harness without any ropes I mean one little move that's wrong you are literally falling to your death yeah. um, you're you're crossing bridges with potential bombs and mines under them I mean do you not enjoy your life like is it I mean like why would you do that I, I don't I mean, get it it, it def- I feel, I love my life, and I think it actually makes you come more alive when you do these things. You know, when you when you get to taste your own mortality and it, and come close to it, you it makes life worth living. See, most of us live our whole lives never thinking about our death, never embracing death, 
And I think the closer you are to death, the more you come alive and the more you remember that, you know, this will all be gone one day and to really harness it and not even in the sense of like, you know, live every day like it's your last kind of thing, but really being close to death and truly understanding it. I mean, even Steve Jobs said that, you know, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've I've, uh, I've used to make the big decisions in life. Mm -hmm. So I think tasting our mortality, experiencing it, fearing it are all good things that that make us come alive. So, I mean, again, I, I channeled the level of risk down now that I'm married and I have more responsibilities, but yeah. uh, but not to say that I'll never stop. You know, I'm, I'm, obviously the things that I do still are risky, but just not, you know, I won't free solo anymore, for example. <laughs> right, right. So, you're crossing this bridge and you're going first and… Obviously. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, so coming back to this funny story, so one day my first sergeant, uh, first sergeant is a very senior enlisted rank, he didn't leave the base too much, so he was a little bit more on edge than the rest of us who are leaving the base every single day, and he comes on this mission to sort of, uh, we could get to a bridge, he takes the left side, I take the right side, and he sees something on the bridge, and he goes, Nanavati, which is my last name, he said, Nanavati, what is that? I said, I don't know, so uh, <laughs> that didn't exactly inspire a lot of confidence in him, he's now <laughs> very, very nervous, so I walk over to this thing, and I have my I have the scope on my rifle and I'm kind of making sure there's no wires and then I pull this move where I like I lean back and kick this thing and it was hilarious because my first sergeant just jumped back he goes not a body what the hell are you doing he said don't worry about it first sergeant it's all good <laughs> so I, oh I mean I God. was pretty sure it wasn't a bomb so I mostly did it to mess with him and his reaction was priceless oh but uh, but also my buddies watching in the back loved my bomb detection strategy it's definitely not an effective one to kick things to see if they're bombs <laughs> but uh <laughs> It was kind of funny at the moment. So the running joke became Nanavati's going to get blown up today, which is funny, funny right? <laughs> would you would you say you're you're fearless, or do you feel the fear but go into the fear? Yeah, I'm, I mean it's funny, you know. When I when I've done um, uh, some talks, people ask me, you know, how are you so fearless? And I I repeat the point that I'm not at all fearless. I do these things because they're scary, uh, and that's exactly why. I mean, I was terrified doing all these things i mean greenland for example the very first day on the ice cap my legs started cramping up and that made me a little nervous because i still had a month left so all these things that i do i mean skydiving i still remember when i went skydiving i was actually driving to the drop zone and part of me was hoping it would rain so i wouldn't have to go you know Mm. (laughs) i was that scared of it but uh but i went i went anyways i choose to do these things because they're scary it's so interesting because i i I personally feel like you know a lot of and just to talk about entrepreneurship for a second you know, what really separates people like Richard Branson, who's just an absolutely hugely wildly successful entrepreneur. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just incredible what he's what he's managed to build. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that he's he just does things even if he's even if they can completely go like really bad. Like even if he, he in other words, I don't think he's fearless. I think he just almost enjoys just seeing what's going to happen. It's almost like a, you, you said playfulness at one point, right? And I think that's what it comes yeah. down to is it's just play around with it and see what happens. Like, I think most of us, we talk ourselves out of things because we picture the worst case scenario and it's always doom and gloom. Like, oh, if I make that that sales call, you know, they're going to reject me and I'm going to feel bad. Like, you know, or if I'm going to mm-hmm. do this, big business deal like it's going to go sour and it's just not going to work out or you know if whatever it is like you know if I ask yeah. that girl out on a date she's going to say no I'm going to be embarrassed or whatever it is and I think it's just it trying to almost make it a challenge like say oh you know what I'm going to do that 
just for the sake of it, just because I'm scared, I'm going to do it. Like for me, I do things like rapping in my intros to my podcast show <laughs> because of the fact that I feel really scared and yeah. I want to push my boundaries and I want to do things like that. Like, you know, for those of you guys listening, do you think it's easy for me to get on a mic and talk to somebody that I've never spoken to before? And I mean, I could say the stupidest things and or everything could just fail. Or, you know, there's so many things yeah. that can go wrong. But I just keep doing it. I do it over and over again. And I can tell you one thing. I've done now 89 episodes. This is episode 89. And I get butterflies in my stomach right before <laughs> I, right before we get on. I still get those butterflies in my stomach. I still have to walk yeah. up and down and pump myself up. And I just dive in. It's just you, you dive in. Like I'm writing a book right now. And it's so scary because I don't totally know. Get you. <laughs> publishing a book, right? Like... Like, yeah. I'm serious. Like, actually, you've you've climbed mountains and 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 walked walked in in minus forty degree snow. Right, writing a book is freaking scary. You know, very. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> writing my book about fear was a terrifying experience. Exactly. It was so much scary. It's one of the most challenging things I've done. So yeah, I can definitely respect. I have a newfound respect and admiration for all authors. So I know what you're going through right now, my friend. Mm -hmm. And I get that it's scary because you're you know it's hard. It's brutal. It's a challenging experience for sure. <laughs> But but here's the thing, and, and you can attest to this, right? The more you do, the more action you take, the, the, the more you're able to do it. Like, in other words, like, it just builds momentum onto the next thing, onto the next thing. So you write one page in your book, and then you write the next, and then you keep writing, and you do one episode on a podcast show, and then you do another, and then you do another, and you just keep going. And yep. it's almost like the... <laughs> That fear almost becomes like a little warning signal, but it becomes very faint after a while. Like you, you feel it, but you know, it's kind of just this little red light in the corner there and you just do it anyway, right? Yeah, totally get you exactly that. And that's why like, you know, so th then I try to look at okay, what's the next great fear. As I said, my great fear today is stillness. So it's the big one that now I'm exploring and engaging to, to see the, to find the growth that, that lies on the other side of it. But fear mm -hmm. definitely becomes, I mean, Richard Branson said it beautifully, you know, it's important not to fear fear and to use fear as fuel. So which is that. exactly what, uh, what which is exactly what you're saying and what I'm what I keep working on doing myself. Use your fear as fuel. Ah, I love that one. Love yeah. it. <laughs> By the way, actually, what do you listen to while you're running? And please tell me that it's my podcast show. <laughs> <laughs> I, so often I do. I do listen to some sometimes like educational stuff when I run, but not okay. always because um, I like to like I, I want my runs to not be. It becomes a different. So it, it depends on my run. So often I sometimes if I'm running in nature, I'll listen to nothing. Mostly I do listen to songs that I prefer music as opposed to like things that engage me mentally you know because mm -hmm. educational stuff then is like a mental uh, uh, engagement that i don't necessarily want always when i'm running so uh <laughs> yeah. but i do listen to your you know your podcast and others sometimes and otherwise it's mostly mu music though you know, mostly i just listen to all kinds of from rap music to techno to <laughs> backstreet boys to uh, indian music you name it <laughs> that's hilarious what do you what uh, when you're not listening to music then like what do you think about because you've got all that time when you're hands you're in the middle of nowhere there's nobody around yeah. what do you think about and also i want to add to that question does what you think about change depending on the culture or the country that you're in to some degree um 
it you know to some degree yes otherwise often when you're in that low moment the misery is just the misery right like <laughs> it's just you know there's i often when i hit out when i hit those moments i'm like why am i doing this this is so stupid <laughs> right but I, I think any i think any worthwhile endeavor will will make you think that at some point same thing with writing a book right like it was like this yeah. sucks why am i doing this but uh so you know my mind takes you all kinds of places and that's the kind of beauty in that i mean it goes everywhere and anywhere and you delve into yourself you like sometimes if i'm just listening to music i get lost in the music so that's why i love running too is because in like in a short moment you know in this sort of short time frame you get to experience the entire spectrum of the human experience and all the range of emotions from like bliss to misery to stillness to being in the moment to thinking about your past thinking about the future it's like everything you know and you get to experience the whole spectrum of human life in that short moment and it really becomes a microcosm of life and that's that's the beauty in it and the challenge of course as well <laughs> it's incredible so uh what would you like to just before we wrap up like what would you like to leave with our with our listeners if there's one message that that you would leave if it, in fact let me let me ask it to you like this if i was to give you a microphone right now and it was able to broadcast across the whole world and it would basically uh translate in every single language so everybody would hear it what would that message be Mm. Uh, <laughs> a lot of pressure. Uh, yeah. no, the, the message that I always share, and when I, and I think the the most important thing somebody can do for their own life, and not just through my own personal experience, I've learned this, but also research has shown it, is to develop a positive relationship to suffering. Really learn to enjoy struggle, learn to find struggle. Because if you can struggle with a smile, if you can suffer with a smile, you can do anything. Not only you can you can handle when life punches you in the face, but you can handle whatever challenges come in the way between where you are now and where you want to be. And obviously, challenges. Will come in the way so the single most important thing i think anybody can do in their own personal and spiritual evolution is uh to develop a positive relationship to suffering suffer well and uh and you will not only i mean it it's even brings people together that's why there's so much camaraderie in the military for example uh, or in the gym that i train with he says a family that suffers together stays together which i absolutely mm. love that's <laughs> incredible so, that's I, so true. I think it'll bring people it'll not only bring you closer to people it'll also help you in your own life I love that. I mean, that's the theoretical part of it. What's the practical part of it? If somebody was is suffering right now from something, uh, how? What would be the practical steps to get out of it? Uh, it's, it's really, when it boils down to it, like I love looking at this the way it's simple, is that there's only two things you can any time in your life control. Your actions or your attitude. So I'm always looking at, for example, in Iraq, for the first month and a half of my deployment, I was miserable, hated my life. And I realized that I still had five and a half months left there. And the war wouldn't change. The only thing I could change was my attitude and response to it. So I learned to find joy in, you know, find moments of joy and really enjoy that experience as crazy as that might sound. But mm -hmm. so sometimes you can only change your attitude. Other times you can change your actions and sometimes you can change both. So when, when I when I look at it, it, just it reduces the simplicity of that saying, okay, if life is punching me in the face right now, what can I do to either change my attitude or my actions? And then it boils down to that. That's about it. And in, in terms of practical things to, to sort of develop that positive relationship to suffering, I think, again, coming back to exercise is one of the best way you can do it you know work out in the gym or go for a run or whatever it may be it'll teach you to handle struggle and and work your way up i mean i didn't get to the point of running marathons a day you know to just overnight so build that take that sort of one small step into your risks into your struggles and it'll eventually you that's that that lim limit will keep growing that line will keep growing of how much you can endure and the more you can endure the more you will be able to take on uh, whether it be your own growth or whether it be when life hits you which uh, inevitably it does <laughs> <laughs> i love it actually what's the best way for my listeners to connect with you and to follow you really on your journey 
Uh, the website is fearvana.com, and uh, you know you can check out. Uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'm always I always love connecting with people. So anything I can do to support anyone on their journey, that's uh, it would be my honor and pleasure to do so. So fearvana.com, and you can find me through there. Okay, cool. And on the links for all the resources that you mentioned in this episode will be at danielgeffen.com forward slash 89 that's danielgeffen.com forward slash 89 so uh, head over to to that uh, if you want to um, get the links to the resources and of course you can also join me in the facebook group which actually i'm going to invite you in um and uh <laughs> And so awesome. if anybody wants to reach you there, so if you go onto Facebook and just type in, can I pick your brain in the search bar, you'll find the group. Uh, I think we've got about 900 members in there at the moment. So um, yeah, join the group. It's, it's awesome. Actually, thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. This has been incredible. And thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.